As uh, you may know, our theme for the month of September is vision. And today, we're going to explore vision from the perspective of imagination. What is it that we see? How do we see? And, and why? And how does it change us? That day, I saw beneath the dark clouds the passing light over the water. And I heard the voice of the world speak out. I knew then, as I had before, life is no passing memory. Nor the remaining pages in a great book waiting to be read. It is the opening of eyes long closed, seen for the silence they, they hold. It is the heart after years of secret conversing, speaking out loud in the clear air. It is the vision of far off things. It is Moses in the desert fallen to his knees before the burning bush. It is the man throwing away his shoes as if to enter heaven and finding himself astonished, opened at last, fallen in love with solid ground. That poem is by David White. A reading I'd like to share before, uh, before the sermon this morning is from Katie Pratt. She says, you say you have no spirit, but truthfully, ask yourself this. Would you look into my eyes and see something beyond color? You look at my hands but do you see beyond their shape to see what they create? When you notice my feet, would you see beyond perception to see how I travel through my journey or the way I am following after you? Don't imitate an eye and only see the object. Don't be fooled by the world reality. When I look into your eyes, I see your spirit. When I notice your feet, I see the journey you're taking, the compass you follow. Would you put down your logical way of thinking for just a moment to see the hidden spirit glowing within you, the spirit I see living through the truthful, inspirational things you do? the spirit that keeps me walking after you. So since I asked you to go commando, if you will, without an order of service for the first part today, you all don't know what you're in for. I do have one piece of paper because there's one thing I do want to quote as accurately as possible. Will you join me in a moment of brief prayer? Spirit of love, spirit of life, spirit of all that is sacred, I pray that this morning the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart 
be acceptable to you. Amen. So did anybody get uncomfortable without an order of service this morning? Was it a little weird? I saw a few hands go up. Okay. Did it change? Um, these are rhetorical questions, but I'm actually curious about the answers. Did it, did it impact your experience coming into this, for many of you, this very familiar space? Did it impact your experience? Did it impact your experience sitting here in the sanctuary without that beloved piece of paper? Now, I have to tell you, I'd be one of the ones like, like this in my seat, like, what? I, I don't have reading material? <laughs> This can't be a Unitarian Universalist congregation. Did it, now I don't know whether you thought about this or not, but did it make any difference that Richard and Stephanie and Laura and I had orders of service and scripts and you didn't? Did anybody think about that? Did it affect sort of a balance of power or a balance of authority? I am asking these questions partly, as I said, rhetorically, but partly for real, and they're questions that I'm, I'm, I'm asking myself. I'm, I want, I hope, that we can wonder together about this. And I'll tell you why, because as, as I was inspired for today's service and by reading the, the work of a, of a surgeon by the name of Dr. Leonard Schlein, who wrote this really provocative book called The Alphabet Versus the Goddess. <laughs> you kind of get the drift right from the title. But as I was inspired by, by, by reading this book and thinking about what he says, I thought, have we as a people, have we as a as religious community, have we privileged the written word so much and so heavily that we have either neglected or forgotten to imagine. We've come to associate writing with everything cerebral, essentially jettisoning, you know, a full half of our brain. I loved hearing the, our, our young people talk about it, and most of them talked about old forms of writing, didn't they? Did you hear that? It's hard for us to imagine life in community without having the written word. But as religious community, as people, whether we use the term faith to describe ourselves or not, we are people of a faith tradition. You got to give me that much. As people of faith, are we shortchanging ourselves. I'm not saying jettison all alphabets and jettison all writing. On the contrary, but are we shortchanging ourselves by leaving, okay, let's see what part, what part it's the right brain, yes. I, I, not dyslexic, but I do have, I do play one on TV sometimes. <laughs> by jettisoning that whole part of ourselves that connects without words, that connects without words to our ancestors, to our history, to the history that's coded in our DNA, 
that part of ourselves that connects to faces and to music. Thank you, Richard, for being a co-conspirator today. It was awesome. <laughs> Are we shortchanging ourselves? And if so, what might we do about it? Now, I'm not you know, considering that this is the last time you will ever see an order of service. So if you have any anxiety about that, no, 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 no worries. Someone asked today, well, what about people who are here for the first time? Won't they, won't they want an order of service? And I said, you know what? Not everybody comes from a tradition where orders of service are commonly used. Did any of you ever grow, grow up in a tradition that had no instructions? Right? It's different, isn't it? Sometimes those services last two hours or more. <laughs> Again, don't worry. <laughs> At least not yet. <laughs> At least not yet. So Dr. Schlein, who was one of the pioneers of laparoscopic surgery and who was chief of, of laparoscopic surgery at some hospital in California, has this interesting theory, and I, I'm, I'm going to say I don't buy it necessarily a thousand percent, but it, it really it was it was really interesting to me. He says, "Look, the alphabet is a wonderful thing, and it has brought great progress. And literacy is is you know you can't say too much about it, right? Except that he says when literacy, when the alphabet began to take hold in, in ancient societies." it brought with it an increase in the norms of patriarchy. Got that? Reading, writing, patriarchy. And not that women had ever necessarily held positions of supreme power in the ancient world or this week, but the advent of, of the of, of literacy and the emphasis on the written word, particularly in religious contexts, diminished the stature of women in societies and diminished the stature of those brain activities that are associated with being feminine. Intuition. <laughs> Brilliance. <laughs> Just kidding. Flashes of insight. That moment where you see something and you comprehend it as a whole. You know what I'm talking about? Rather than sort of having that sequential, more linear process of discovery. We all have all of this in us. Well, all I'm saying is that, and I think what Dr. Schlein is saying, is that we seem to have come to a point where we only privilege one half of it. So to illustrate how this plays out, I want to tell you a story about one of my very favorite relatives who was, oh, she passed away recently, my Aunt Betty. Some of you may remember me talking about her. My Aunt Betty and, my, and her brother, my dad, represented the classic, you know, left brain, right brain scenario. My dad was a, a, a linguist and a philologist and a professor, and she was a dancer. <laughs> So it was like, it was really, anyway. So she landed in Hollywood as a teenager uh, and a classically trained ballet dancer and played, you know, danced in movies. She danced with Fred Astaire. And to the end of her life, she couldn't say a sentence without doing this. 
I swear, I was with her the week before she died. <laughs> and, and so one of my favorite roles of hers, some of you may, this is an old movie, so forgive me, but <clears throat> The Ten Commandments by Cecil B. DeMille. You ever see that on The Late Show? They all used to play it at Easter all the time. Charlton Heston, Moses, he comes back with a great hairdo after the commandments, he gets the commandments, <laughs> right? It's like, whoa, God spoke and you got a redo. <laughs> but, so he gets the commandments and he comes back and he's looking even more serious than before. And he's got the commandments and he comes back and the people have gone bonkers, right? They have melted their gold jewelry and they have created the golden calf and they are partying like it's 1999, and even getting ready for a human sacrifice. Um, and there's this, you know, kind of curvy redhead draping herself all over the golden calf. Anybody remember this? That was my Aunt Betty. <laughs> <laughs> Having, by the way, the time of her life playing herself. <laughs> so... <laughs> so she she would tell me I mean, she told me over over the years she told me the story of this and Cecil B. DeMille you know with the image of him with his bullhorn you know telling people what to do is exactly right and he was not very happy with her because you see my Aunt Betty was dyslexic so she there were certain instructions that she was unable to follow so if you gave her a script and told her or gave her written instructions, even about choreography that she had to follow exactly, she quite literally could not do it. And instead, and these were the words she used when she would tell me about it, she would say, in order not to get fired, I would imagine what the perfect dance needed to be for that moment, and I would do that, and I would hope that they wouldn't fire me. So Cecil B. DeMille did not, in fact, fire her. But this is how she moved in the world. Had she tried her best, she couldn't have followed the order of service for that movie. Now, the irony in all of this is that in Schlein's story, it is, in fact, the advent of the Ten Commandments that change everything. Because even though there had been alphabets before and things written before in the great civilizations of the Fertile Crescent, hieroglyphics and cuneiform were actually picture letters, right? All of a not all of a sudden, that's, and things never happen that way. But the Hebrew alphabet had 22 symbols. And instead of these symbols looking like the things they represented, they represented something completely different. No vowels, but that's okay. You can kind of figure that out. I studied Hebrew for two years, and it, it made my brain bigger. <laughs> So what do the Ten Commandments say? What commandment does everybody remember? 
<laughs> thou shalt not. Right. Well, that's pretty low down in the priorities. Right. Eh. <laughs> okay. Let me read you one and two as as I'm sure that God did not write these in English on those tablets, but you're going to get them in English. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. So all of those wonderful local deities embedded in their cultures, all the female deities, gone. Number two, and this is the one that always freaks me out, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. Art is bad. Part of the same commandment. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, the point here is not to disparage, and please don't believe that I'm doing this, any religious tradition or any faith tradition. But the notion of an image that represents, right, the pictures we have, the, the beautiful symbols on this stole that you all gave to me, our, our chalice, our, our flowers, these, these symbols of beauty, why would they be against God, a decidedly male God with different, you know, with no capacity or willingness to encompass others. So this is part of, part of what leads me to invite you to imagine. We're, we're taught not to, aren't we? We're we, we are taught to diminish that side of ourselves that imagines that imagines not God or goddess or incandescent spirit or community as the guiding force of what is sacred. We are taught to adhere to something that was written down, even if it was written 3,000 years ago, and hold to that because it is written, hold loyalty to that, and break our minds trying to reinterpret it because it was written. I think about how the constitution of this country has become this kind of document. Instead of a living, breathing guide to our values and to who we might be as a national community, it has become a source of contention over 
the words that cannot be reinterpreted. So this morning, I bring us back to this moment, and I invite you to imagine. I invite you to imagine with me and with one another. Are there places where we can let go? Not entirely, but where we can bring into the balance the brilliance of logic and sequential and linear and philosophical thinking. Y'all know I love words. And I love to read. I can bring that into the balance into balance with that space. That is the space of intuition. The space of magic. The space of what is spontaneous. See, I can stand up here all day long and talk, but if you're not here, it means nothing. And if you can sit in those chairs all day long, but without music, without our young people, without our rituals, and without our sharing, nothing happens. But when all of this happens, there's something present in this space. Something is created. Thank you. Amen. Ashe and blessed be. Go with blessing this week, my beloveds. Go with blessing. Carry within you the spirit of your glowing imagination. <laughs>